Hey, what's up? This week on the podcast, original Bitcoin OG, Charlie Shrem. Now, he's the guy that got the Winklevosses involved in cryptocurrency. We're going to talk to him about some altcoins he likes, about what a Bitcoin ETF would mean in the Bitcoin space, and we're going to see if he knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is, or at least a really good guess. Hey, what's up? My good friend in the house, Bitcoin OG, Charlie Shrem. Charlie, thanks for joining us, man. It's good to be here. It's fun. So let's talk like right away about how did you even get into the cryptocurrency space? I got involved in the in the crypto space back then. It was just called Bitcoin. It wasn't there wasn't any crypto or anything like that. You know, there wasn't any no one was even really saying the word blockchain or anything like that. But with the early days of, of Bitcoin, it was a bunch of kids uh, on chat rooms and we were talking about kind of like the early days of the internet we were just talking about this magical internet money that could somehow this bitcoin thing that could somehow be the future but there was no like price attached to it no one was really trading it changes existed for the sole reason that there were people who wanted to get some to interact and use it it wasn't seen as like a long-term safe haven although that's what satoshi satoshi kind of originally wanted and this was early 2011 uh, when I first when I first got involved in the space. So how did you what was your first exposure to Bitcoin? Were you talking to friends? Were you just on the forums? Oh, man, I remember. So so I remember like the first times that I was talking about Bitcoin a lot very frequently was in IRC chat rooms. I was with um, I was actually in, a, in these were like this is my community. These were my friends. I actually that year that I discovered Bitcoin. Uh, I went off, my parents thought I was crazy. Uh, I went off to Norway for like 30 days to hang out with a bunch of other people that we were all in these chat rooms together. I was like, we should all physically meet up. So we went out to Norway and the sun never sets in Norway in the summer, which is really cool. And that was like the weirdest thing because I grew up in a very religious Jewish community where everyone looks and acts exactly the same. And here I was and I'm like five foot four and here I am hanging out with my best friend who was like at the time we only knew each other on the internet and he's like six foot seven goth head to toe you know chains and boots and everything metal like black hair black sunglasses completely pale to white face from from northern uk and we were all hanging out with our other norwegian friend but here he is like one of my best friends you know and that was like the precursor to the bitcoin world for me because that's where I made all, I wasn't a, a product of like making friends in the schoolyard. I was, you know, all my friends were online uh, in those years, uh, just throughout high school and everything. So that was really cool. And I got involved in Bitcoin. I'm like, holy crap, here's this whole community. And I was in chat rooms that loves this Bitcoin for the future. So we're not just tinkering, trying to like hack into like websites and try to like figure shit out. We're like, we're going to tinker around and be stupid script kitties, but we're going to, we're going to look at this. We're going to actually have code for the future. We're going to change the whole financial world. I met a guy and he's like, yeah, we don't have to say end the Fed anymore. We can say transcend the Fed. We can build a new Fed. Crazy stuff back in 2011. Well, and you're young. You just turned, what, 30, 31. So you were super young yeah. with, with these massive ideal, yeah. uh, ideologies. Young and impressionable. Yeah, that's crazy, man. So you were always into uh, computers and, and kind of like uh, hacking and just kind of like has, having a fun fun time with that space. And then you ran across Bitcoin. And it sounds like from, from the very get-go, you were like, I mean, super sold on this whole concept of what it represented. I really, really was super sold on that concept. And I loved the the idea that no one else in the real world knew about it this was my thing 
that my friends and family outside were laughing at it all the time and for years still till today. But at the end of the day, this was my thing that I was able to like really grow and help foster. It was my baby. And I started uh, one of the first Bitcoin companies, BitInstant. Again, for the purpose was there was no way to buy Bitcoin. It was just impossible for anyone to get Bitcoin. So here you had these exchanges that existed that you can buy lots of like 100, 500, thousands. But you'd have to wire money to some guy's Japanese bank account or go and like get like a money money pack card and sell it to someone on local Bitcoins, hopefully, which didn't even exist yet. So we started with another guy. He was my business partner for three years. Never met in real life before. And we started this whole company together uh, where we enabled people to buy Bitcoin with cash called BitInstant at like a million locations around the U.S. Uh, we partnered with like 7-Eleven, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS. So it's pre-Bitcoin ATMs, pre-Coinbase, pre-everything. And we had tens of thousands of customers. And this was from 2011 to like mid-2013 we operated. as our peak. Uh, and I remember saying to myself, I remember we did a statistic and every 30 seconds, someone was, was buying Bitcoin from our company. And I'm like, holy crap, there exists that many around that many people in the United States right now that want this Bitcoin thing. You're talking about the prices that we would sell Bitcoin were from $5 to $45. Like that was the, the price range of the company kind of existed and operated. So you're gonna get thousands. I meet people all day. Like I bought my first 2000 Bitcoin from you. My first 2000, that's insane now <laughs> when people are like clamoring to get like a 10th and it's for the average American or the average person, right? Like, I mean, one Bitcoin is is now like the, it's it's like the gold standard. If I could get one Bitcoin and, and it's out of reach for a lot of people, people don't realize you can buy fractions of a Bitcoin, but to hear people buying in groups of 10, 20, 100, 1000 Bitcoin, was the liquidity on the market back then, would it move like from that $10 to 45 in a short period of time because of uh, just not being very liquid? It took a lot less money like put it this way uh they were the binary option site that my friend was running like hey i'll send you send money bitcoin if the price goes up then you make money if the price goes down you lose money type of thing you could bet on if the price doesn't go up or down within a few minutes mm -hmm. he had a problem there was a guy who would literally send him bets and then go on like bitfinex which was one of the only you know this was probably in 2014 uh and just make, manipulate the total Bitcoin price to suit his bets. <laughs> so it, like literally it would, one guy. And so he would have to go, yeah, it would cost you less than $50,000 to be able to push the price or keep the price suppressed for a given time. Like that's the type of thing you used to, if you were to buy Bitcoin in large amounts, it was almost impossible to do it. Um, the exchanges existed. Um, and the volatility was the, the the swings were wild, but they weren't crazy wild because just the volume wasn't what it is now. There weren't market makers, there weren't, um, you know, prop shops, different you know crazy like amount uh, of uh, industrial money as we call it, like just tens of millions and billions of dollars for just you know trading on these prices. It wasn't that it was completely real people buying and selling Bitcoin. That's crazy. So it was the main exchange that you used back then to bring bring uh, liquidity in. Was that Mt. Gox? Yep. Yeah, Mt. Gox was pretty much had 90%, I would say, of the market share of the exchange market share. So we would uh, have to source our liquidity. Most of the liquidity that we were sourcing, though, was off exchange. We were having to source liquidity from 
other Bitcoin companies like BitPay, for example. BitPay was BitPay is the longest running Bitcoin, blockchain, crypto, whatever you want to call it, is the longest, oldest operating company till today. Um, they launched even before me, and I think they launched in 2010. And they're still around. It's crazy. Huge, huge company. Um, they have their Bitcoin debit card, but they were doing Bitcoin payment processing back then. Uh, they still do. So back then, you'd have a lot of people come, and if they wanted to accept Bitcoin, you'd use BitPay. BitPay needed to sell those coins in order to source their, uh, you know, their operations. So they would go to potentially people like us or some of the other competitors or whatever. That's insane. It was a small industry back then. Yeah, and then the that's why we all became like friends and family because we didn't just, we weren't just hanging out in chat rooms. We were supporting each other's businesses, and we were we were supporting each other's competition. Did not exist like in a hostile way. So while competitors, even Coinbase, when they showed up. The competition wasn't a, a hostile thing because we'd all very quickly kind of recognize that we want to grow that pie together and then we'll compete over it later. Right. And just kind of wanted to work together to build a bigger market space and just expose more people. Because even just until maybe the last year or two, uh, people have just started to kind of go, okay. Bitcoin's a thing that's going to be around. It, it was, it's been shunned yeah. for so long. And I mean, like I started getting into crypto in 2016. And so 95% of my friends are post 2016, 17, 18. And looking back at, at the guys like you that started way back, I mean, to really have the foresight way, 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 way back then, it's insane. And, you know, there's a couple of great documentaries on, on Netflix and on YouTube that I initially um, saw you through. And then I read Ben Mesrich's book, Bitcoin Billionaires, which they're making that into a movie, right? Yeah, they're making it into a movie. So it should be very good. That's going to you're going to get you're going to be so freaking famous in three years. Like, I'm, no, I'm never gonna be able to get you back on the podcast. It's going to be insane. I'm going to be coming back on the show all the time. Fantastic. So so the uh, the big takeaway, I think, is that people don't realize that the Gemini exchange, which is owned by the Winklevosses, which everyone knows the Winklevosses from their litigation with uh, Facebook, but you're really the reason that they kind of copy and pasted your business model to some extent and said, you know what, this guy's doing an exchange and they were buying a grip of Bitcoin through you. How did you come to, uh, to meet them? Those, those, I have to say those guys were very, very, like very brilliant in their force realizing Bitcoin was the next thing. But for the, and for the same reason that I fell in love with Bitcoin, I think they did too. Bitcoin was their thing. No one, even when they got involved, Silicon Valley laughed at Bitcoin. And so here, Cameron Tyler, this was this became their baby too, and I think that's one of the reasons they were became so successful in it. But yeah, they were just it was a right post that that Facebook lawsuit when they met my other business partner in in a beach in Spain in Ibiza, and they literally called me on speakerphone. I was probably at you know like Friday night dinner at my parents' house or at synagogue or something. And here I'm explaining a Bitcoin. I think I was starstruck, but um. Yeah, they ended up investing in our company and and they were one of the reasons that we that we uh were very successful so i mean looking at how the bitcoin space has grown over the last 10 12 years what's the biggest takeaway that that you see in terms of a fundamental shift oh my god it's i think that when we first got into bitcoin in 2000 in those early years convincing people to just be able to trust doing online payments was a big ask. Most people, either, you know, this was pre-Venmo, pre, pre all the cash app and all the apps that we use today. Our banks in those years didn't even want to support 
us sending money from like one bank to another pop money didn't sell all these things you if you want to move money from your account you, you have to write checks or online banking i remember i spoke at an online banking uh a conference and in, in uh about bitcoin it was like it was about it was the ach consortium who runs the ach bank transfers and i was like why don't you guys just do same day transfers and they like laughed at me saying the what that's but convincing people that like same day and instant payments needed to be a thing was was hard now here we are 10 years later and everyone's like oh my god all payments should be instant but not only that but money has a fundamental shift of like i can own my own money i think everyone really understands that because it's not just with bitcoin it's with you're trading a token or you're doing a meme coin a shiba inu or something you know all of our friends and family are around learning something that experience that we're all going through right now with that we're mass adoption moment that's what we're all going through the trading of the stocks and the different things it's a fundamental shift and it's really really important so i think that's one of the biggest takeaways that i didn't see 10 years ago but i see that now and i think that's what's going to bring crazy crazy adoption to all crypto also i tell people like there's no bad investment in crypto today because as long as it's not a scam as long as this company exists in five years it's going to be it's going to be a good play because we're so new this is so early this is like the watershed moment the crest everything that happened before now will be written about in history books so if you're at the time if you're living in the time that books are going to be written about this these moments which right now we're living in then you're still early so talking about watershed moments, one of the things that from an institutional level we've heard about for years and years is the, is the holy grail, right? Is the, the Bitcoin spot ETF. And Vanek just had their ETF rejected by the SEC because of the, they said it was like manipulated underlying, but we have futures for Bitcoin. Uh, what's your take on, on like, how do you feel about the ETF being rejected? And do you feel like that's really going to be the catalyst that puts Bitcoin over the top? Yeah. Yeah. I think that ETF getting rejected is probably... It was a spot ETF that got rejected. There are a bunch of like futures ETFs, but that's been something that's, that people have been trying to, to get the SEC to approve since 2014. So when that happens, I think it'll be a big deal because people look back to gold and they look at when gold got its ETF was when really gold took off as like a long-term uh, uh, store of value for the sole reason that a lot of people for tax purposes around the world have their their long-term retirement and their money locked up in these pension plans and 401ks and Roth IRAs. And this is not just, you know, US-based, although it largely is here. Um, to be able to move that into a spot ETF, a spot Bitcoin exchange fund where you own a percentage of it of the current spot market, not only provide tax advantage for people, but then the ETF itself. And this is what I think the SEC is worried about the ETF itself will become price discovery. So it'll become part of how we gather what the current Bitcoin price should be. And I think the SEC is worried about, and the governments itself are worried about that because then they're on the hook for the price of Bitcoin. Right now, they're not because it's traded in all these crazy places around the world. So I think that it just extends the bull market for another year or two. Yeah, I mean, we talked about like the cycles and stuff getting longer. Do you feel like, that there's uh, because of what a big 
shift this is in in what we define money as and you said like owning our own money because usually you know people that unless they really invest in their financial IQ aren't really aware of quantitative easing and fractional marginal banking and how that money that you see on the, the screen go to your bank and try to withdraw all your cash they're going to laugh at you that you you can't get it as readily accessible you think you own your money do you think that a lot of the the governments are kind of going man this is what does this mean for us because you know the US dollar has been the standard around the world since I think World War II and has been backed by gold forever. So we're just printing money, printing money, printing money. Do you think that like we're intentionally slowing down? I mean, I know we are, but to what degree do you think the government is intentionally slowing down the adoption of Bitcoin? Because uh, I think at some point it has to be a global reserve currency. It makes the most sense. I think I think when we look at the government as a whole, there's a, there's very few things that we can like say the government uh, is trying to do anything. But I do think that government's part of their mantra is to kind of not slow things down, but put things at a pace that they can make predictable. You know, everything from COVID or whatever. So un they want to understand our states, they want to understand our community, they want to understand everything. But I spent a lot of time thinking about this, wondering like, what would like Bitcoin adoption actually look like? And how would governments uh, interact with it? But what I and I and what I didn't, what I didn't uh, foresee, was that it wasn't going to be like an us versus them. Rather, everyone become Bitcoiners themselves, and mayors and city councilmen first, and and people in local governments, and then governors, and eventually the president are Bitcoiners own some sort of crypto, mine it, are involved in it, understand its benefits. But at the end of the day, even people who work for government are probably libertarian at hearts and they have their own houses and their own families and they go home at the end of the day, even the president. And we all have this fundamental, we're all, you know, we have this American belief in, in the future and protecting our families and growing our economies and our ecosystems quality of life and things like that. So I think there's going to be an adoption. And I think, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I think cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, all the rest of them, the technologies around it, it's, there's going to be some integration with, with U.S. government and all the governments in the near future. It's going to be like a, you know, like embracing each other without recognizing the that that it's happening in a way. What's your... Because... Yes. Yeah, you know, so what's the biggest fear you have for Bitcoin? What's the one like if 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 the ETF is the best thing that can happen to it theoretically in terms of my my, my biggest fear. Sorry to interrupt you. No. No. Go ahead. My my biggest fear with Bitcoin is that stupid people will say stupid things on the internet, and other people will think that they represent Bitcoin. And in the past, that's happened. Like the CEO of Bitcoin said this, or like this Bitcoin company has been hacked. And what did you have to say? Like, oh, the dollar doesn't get hacked. You know, we'd have to defend Bitcoin all the time. We don't have to do that anymore. So, but at the end of the day, that was probably my biggest fear. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Yeah. You know, I think that I have a funny story. My my dad, I got him into Bitcoin when it was like 
4,800 bucks or something. And I told him, just go, you know, throw a few bucks into this. Uh, I've never told family to invest in anything because I don't ever want to be held on the hook for, for, um, all oh, that didn't work out. I felt so strongly about Bitcoin because the I more, think. the more I researched it, the more I realized that counter argument, you can poke holes in real estate. You can poke holes in, um, uh, buying a, a bar. You can poke holes in a lot of investments. The thing that with Bitcoin is the more I tried to poke holes in it, the more I realized those holes were usually just a lack of knowledge. People didn't research enough. They're like, oh, well, it's, yeah. it's this, it's that. I'm like, no, that's, but that's not the case. You just got to dig deeper. And the further you go down that, you take that red pill and you go down the rabbit hole, you realize it's a really fundamentally solid, solid, um, you yes. know, a, a system. But the funny thing is I, so I, um, got my dad to buy some crypto and you know, he's in his like late sixties, early seventies. And this was like a paradigm shift for him to try to get involved in this. And, um, he had one of those situations where he had a question. So instead of calling Coinbase or calling me, he Googles it and he gets some forum that was like, here's the Coinbase customer service number in Pakistan. And like ended up dumping all of his private keys, all his information. And he's like, I'm done. I'm never doing crypto again. I'm like, yeah, but if you understand crypto, you, like that's like saying I got my wallet stolen. I'm never going to use credit cards or cash again. It just doesn't make sense. Like you were the victim of, a, of of fraud and theft. That sucks. But if you see the big picture, there's so much that's that's changing on a fundamental level. Like you know, like everyone, the the argument for years was, well, I'm not I'm not going to go to Starbucks and use Bitcoin to buy a Starbucks. I'm not either. I think that we kind of, as a consensus, realize Bitcoin's a better store of value at this point than than a transactional um, medium. But you look at when you first started, you had Bitcoin. Now there's what fourteen thousand different cryptos out there. Um, yeah. Do you like anything else besides Bitcoin, or do you feel like you're just a Bitcoin maximalist, or are there certain protocols that you're like Gaga over? Oh yeah, like maximalism doesn't exist because because there a lot of these other cryptocurrencies are not as big as bitcoin so they can move faster and they can break shit and they can get hacked and they could learn and they're riskier investments there i invest in a bunch of them too and and you know like what you're getting there but at the end of the day you know bitcoin just went through its largest upgrade on saturday called taproot in seven years its largest upgrade in seven years because bitcoin is such this huge it's a two trillion dollar market cap financial you know ecosystem uh, where people are holding their long-term families wealth and value it can't make too many changes like we were saying before the the code is completely open source everyone can read it it's all backed up by math how it all works it's very simple to explain uh, a lot of these other cryptos are experimenting with very new technologies but the good news about them is that a lot of new technologies that are demanded by the world, like smart contracts, Bitcoin now has and can can get it, can eventually get those upgrades and get them in. So there is like a benefit to having so many, so many other coins out there and tokens, and blockchains and protocols that are doing a lot of different things. Um, I look at all crypto as this huge social experiment. I love experimenting around different us with different consensus algorithms which are basically like you have different styles of reaching consensus through individual people on the internet and so where bitcoin is all using proof of work you have mining you have there's a way for blocks to be validated and then dispersed and everything like that a lot of these other coins are experimenting with cool like delegated proof of stake and all these different kind of ecosystems that i think can be translated into like how we vote in our homeowners association 
to you know presidential elections to how mortgages are done those are they're building the cutting edge technology and being able to i just saw this morning like being able to barbados is launching the ability to securitize real estate on a token um crazy things you know you have smart cities and decentralized autonomous organizations that are basically funding paying residents miami has a has a city coin where if you're a resident of miami you get paid for free you're getting free money just because you're a resident of miami and there's a decentralized autonomous organization mining this thing it's a whole thing city coins is a super cool project so i i just fucking insane this whole i never thought when i was sitting in jail like six seven years ago that this is where we'd be at here now Fucking amazing. And, and it's not just a shift in just the monetary system. You look at things like NFTs, which are definitely not my strong suit, or like the metaverse, which are is starting to rapidly take up. I mean, we're, I think we're, you know, at any point in history, do you ever realize that you're going through a, a pivotal change? This is it. Yeah. I mean, this is such a crazy time. Are you into NFTs at all? I know I've seen you post a few NFTs. Did you ever get any? Uh, any uh, the coolest thing, <laughs> the coolest thing about NFTs is that no one knows what it is. No one really can tell you what it's going to look like in the future. No one really understands any of it. But here you have this fucking really cool new technology that has price discovery attached to it in a decentralized way. I think that is the fundamental shift that humanity is going through. It's like now everyone can participate in this crazy blockchain power technology called the non-fungible tokens. Like, yeah, it's, it's cool. Like what I like about NFTs and I, I have some on my phone there's something for everyone in it. Like I was just at a, at a Bitcoin conference, a blockchain conference, uh, just the other day in Tampa, and the mayor of Tampa was there, which I never would see the mayor of a city just hanging out at a blockchain conference, just mingling and talking to everyone, just like, but that's what, it's happening in every city. But, you know, my wife Courtney was walking down the exi exi exhibit hall, and you had this uh, digital artist, and she was there, and she was showing off her wares. She was showing off her, her digital art. And Courtney was like, I love that. And this was designed by this, this, this lady who was there. And it was really cool. And for the first time ever, you're not buying a, like, like she designed this, but what is he, what am I going to do? Get a printed copy of it? Or like she emails me it. Like, what does that mean? But when you're issuing this as a non-fungible token that you can actually do interaction and receive your wallet, you now she now owns one of six of these and that's i think that's the big deal here it's like oh i want it now i want to be the only one that own one of six of them so it's like translate that value from the creator to the owner that's why NFTs is so fucking cool. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of talk in the, the entertainment and the music industry too about NFTs really changing how artists get paid and have the residual income for oh things. God, yeah. And I think NFTs, and we don't even have an idea yet on how it's going to affect that space. But, you know, your wife's an actress and I, that's something I'm, I'm sure that as, as she's doing more and more movies, NFTs are going to be a bigger and bigger part of that conversation in terms of, you know, I mean, we're, we're a digital world. We're still using analog money. It's, I mean, that's a big, a big part of, we're, we're changing on a daily basis. The metaverse, what's your take on the metaverse, man? I'm, everyone's telling me, buy some land, buy, go buy mana, go buy some sand, go get some, buy some real estate and park it next to Snoop Dogg, let people build on it. All these technologies are all working with each other. So you have cryptocurrencies and long-term digital assets, like Bitcoin and stuff. People hold their, keep their money in Bitcoin. It's a large, you know, 43% market dominance or whatever. And People are keeping their, you know, billions and billions long term and have publicly set on keeping this amount of money. 
So what happens is these stable coins are launched and these different companies are launching. They have their treasuries in Bitcoin and they back their stable coins with Bitcoin treasuries like Tether and things like that, that operate on all these other blockchains, largely Bitcoin backed treasury. Uh, but it creates liquidity for all these other ecosystems to thrive. It gives it gives liquidity to all these other uh, blockchains like Tron and everything like that. You bootstrap it all. And so what happens is that translates into these NFT things that you can have price cover, but it also translates into the future of this like metaverse. But metaverse is just a larger part of the web 3.0 as we as we know it and if people want to kind of understand oh how, do, how can i tell the difference of like the web 3.0 versus the web 2.0 well i say this if you if you interact with a business or a company or a blockchain ecosystem or something and it's not building on top of the internet today it's they're launching their own main nets their own blockchains their own rails and they're building the next you know, whatever the next thing is, whatever it's metaverse, like you said, buying land, Decentraland, uh, uh, um, there's a, a sandbox games, you have like GameFi. If they're building out all these new technologies uh, on top of these ecosystems, that is the future. So the metaverse may not be like a Ready Player One style interaction that we see it today, but the metaverse will be another shift of how we all uh act and interact with the internet on a day-to-day -day basis and that means like digital mortgages or actually buying owning a mcdonald's in one of these games because if you own why would i buy a franchise why would i spend a hundred thousand dollars on a franchise that if that the video game company can just make more of make more land in the game to suit their own financial gain however if you have a decentralized world launched where, where it's governed by all the token holders of that of the land like decentralized or something like that and the future of this land is decentralized in a way that if you own a mcdonald's you own the mcdonald's and no one else or whatever the burger chain you want to own no one can take it from you and all these avatars that want to have these uh uh meeting you know if you have a board meeting a, you want to go have it in a metaverse McDonald's in the game. You want to be able to hang out with your friends and maybe have a, not a virtual cheeseburger, but it just creates another setting. We could be doing this podcast and you're going to have to pay that place some money. So that will become future assets. Instead of buying a piece of land on main street or a building, you may want to buy a piece of land on a digital main street. And the ability for you know, if you want to buy a building on Main Street right now, it's a very, it's not, you don't just have to have the money. You have to know the people. You have to be part of a certain social class. You've got to be in the club, things like that. But with digital real estate, you can be the guy who cleans up the sewers in Mumbai, in, in Delhi, you know, in India somewhere. And you can still have the same equality of be able to get the same land as anyone else living any other place it doesn't matter social class you know race color of your skin whatever you sexual orientation anything you want to believe or whatever it doesn't matter it, that will come that's how i really think you know i joke to people i say this is whole thing is we're going to bring about world peace and we got we joke but i mean it's doing it you know, you, are, you talk to so many people on your podcast, Untold Stories, and if you haven't had a chance to check it out, Charlie's got a bunch of episodes, um, both on YouTube and everywhere you can listen to podcasts. And um, 
So, you know, you're exposed to a lot of different cryptocurrencies from being involved in it for so long. What are some of the, the like pillars that Charlie looks at when he decides if, if this is a project that he wants to be involved in or not? How do you filter the oh, noise? That's a good question. Yeah, that's such a good question because, because I never really thought about like my investment, my personal investment thesis. But when I look at, I look at like what kind of the private equity or VC world looks at like pick and shovel plays or whatever, um, where it doesn't matter what people are doing. You just want to own a piece of the platform or the ecosystem where people are doing it. Uh, it's like the guys who made the real money in the gold rush were the ones selling like the, the, the shovels and things like that. I think that's where that came from. But so I look at those, I look at the team and I look at, I like really cool blockchains that are purposely built and driven to fundamentally change something in the future, whether that's like how real estate is run or like, I, I'm trying, I know it's stupid, a lot of people, but I really am trying to get in on the next big thing because I feel like uh, I've been around for so long that my instinct just kind of knows what's bad or what's good. And listen, I've, I get scammed all the time. I get scammed. Um, I have scammers impersonating me. Um, I've made tons of bad investments. Uh, but at the, but at the end of the day, uh, I just love being in this space. And I love, I love being here. <laughs> not, not, I actually had uh, someone about a week and a half ago on Instagram sending a message to, to Vinny as you. And he's, and, and, and it was oh, actually God. pretty poignant too. Cause if I didn't, if we weren't friends on Instagram too, like I wouldn't be able to like go, Oh, that's not Charlie's. And it was, he was even like, Hey, what's going on? It's, I'm just hanging out with my wife, Courtney. And like, they knew your wife's name. And I'm like, they're pretty smart on how they do that. So I started like messing with them back and I'm like, well, Hey, can you send me that half a Bitcoin real quick first? So I can invest in that thing you wanted me to do. So, but yeah, it's crazy, man. Like how many scammers are out there. Scammers are really good. Yeah, they, 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 Especially like the really, like the really like technologically savvy ones where they can start like using jargon and, and move things around. But you know, you made a comment that you want to get involved in the the next big thing and between all on a, a macro sense where do you think the next big thing is because a lot of people are that are watching your show or watching and involved in crypto you know they're, they're watching bitboy they they're 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 not in this necessarily fundamentally they're in this for a quick buck but if we don't want to look at individual projects where do you think the next big thing is going to be do you think it's the metaverse do you think it's nfts do you think it's uh just bitcoin itself um, we're, and we're investing. So I have a, a, a with investor place, I have a, a newsletter and we have a model portfolio uh, and you can, anyone can come in and, and see our research and check it all out. But what I'm really excited, we do these weekly, like Thursday, big writers and board meetings and we just all get together and there's no time limit on it. That's why my Fridays are so crazy sometimes. And we just, we'll all be on our computers and it's like, it's like TMZ We shoot the shit and we're learning and we're talking about what we like. And we end up out of those meetings come our next picks or where we're going to be focusing our research on GameFi. I'm really into GameFi. And what that is, is GameFi is like, I don't even know who coined that term or if anyone has coined that term yet, but I like investing in getting involved in projects where it amalgamates or kind of brings together NFTs, you know, the future metaverse or decentralized land to some extent, and then gaming, and then some sort of like, whether it's video gaming or whatever. And the reason I think is because one of the best ways to get people to, to use value on the internet is gambling. It's game gambling and gaming has been part of the early Bitcoin ecosystem. In fact, no one knows this, but it was in the original Satoshi code, there was some lines in there that were written 
for like card deck shuffling and some Bitcoin poker stuff. So Satoshi was going to build a standalone application on top of Bitcoin just to, to show people the effects of it, because this is important. Like, what are you going to put value on the Internet? Otherwise, what are you entering your credit card number uh, or doing like sending wire transfers? And most people that play poker and things like that are already used to doing it. So he figured that would be a good way. Um, but I'm investing a lot in that. Uh, I like uh, it's funny because you look like Zed Run, Z-E-D Run. Uh, is an NFT platform where you're not just trading and minting uh, collectible horses, but you're breeding them with each other. You're racing them in these beautiful digital, you know, virtual arenas, and your other people can bet on your horses, and you make a percentage, and you're racing, and you can go on that run right now and watch live streams of horse races. It's so fucking cool. But like, you have the leaderboards, and everyone is. Uh, uh, getting involved. So I'm like on the phone with the CEO of some of these publicly traded companies and we're like both watching these live streams <laughs> of Zedron and we're like, you know, he's like, what's your horse name? I want to breed my horse with yours. But that brings people together for the first time. Internet is fun again. Yeah. Internet is fun again. Yeah. It's crazy. You know how, how the world has gotten so small, right? Like it's really insane. I mean, you look back at like, well, you were, you're a nineties kid, but I was an eighties baby. And I'm, I'm just like, man, the, the internet has gotten, you can pick up the phone and you can send money across the world. You can talk to someone. You're like, we're, we're how, how does all this shit work? How, how does my voice go into here and you hear it over there? I have no freaking idea, but it's so cool. Right. And I think we're on the, the precipice of right? some, some crazy shit that's happening. Um, so I want to run an idea by you. Do it actually like a new thought that i just kind of thought right now uh you know how a lot of people would justify the internet in the early days with oh you know you don't need to learn how a plane works to fly in a plane you just know that it works the internet works people till very recently didn't care myself and you you and me included don't really never really understand how the internet actually works on like a fundamental and i think i, I still know i'm learning right now you know as bitcoiners blockchain because i am we're learning so my idea that i want to run by you my thought is i think not only has bitcoin and blockchain forced people to into huge financial literacy the same way the printing press when that was invented people had to start to learn to read and write because things can be mass produced all of a sudden. Before that, eight out of 10 people couldn't read or write before the printing press was invented. Same reason with the internet and financial literacy now with Bitcoin and crypto. I think that's the fundamental shift. I think people care now how my money works, how the internet works, where's my data being stored, who has access to it. Vyart can invest in any business that is changing those five fundamental things. That's a, that's a great investment. I'll put hundred grand there all day. Yeah. I think, I think that like, I'm a fundamentalist and I believe in what Bitcoin is doing. So I think that like, it's just like the book, like rich dad, poor dad, right? Like that book's been around forever. And if you read that, you have a better understanding of what money is and how to make money work for you and assets and liabilities. I think the problem with cryptocurrency is some of the people involved, they see these astronomical gains and it's not mm. what is Bitcoin doing on a fundamental level? What are we trying to accomplish? It's how quickly can I go out there and make a quick buck? And then it's yeah. throw a bunch of money at something and then they lose a bunch of money and it's what's the next hot thing, cool 
cool thing. But I think that eventually all that noise will settle down when the shit products. Get them, just get them in the casino. Yeah, that's that's, that's what, what I said. Look, that's you know that's what like I pass up on good projects all the time. I'm in a few crypto chats, and there you know people are like, oh, this new NFT baseball card thing, and this and that. And I'm like, I know I'm missing out on a bunch of stuff. But like the four things that I look for, are like what's the technology? What's the like? Is it, is it a unique blockchain? Or is it a copy paste? Who's the team involved? You know, what are the real world use cases for it? And what partnerships do they have? And I can't figure out Shiba Inu. I get it from a Metcalf's law perspective, yes. you know, and, and it makes sense and I understand it, um, but I don't understand it enough Shiba to value Inu it. is like a slot machine at the entrance of the casino right. that is fine-tuned to give extra payouts to attract more people in. Yep. Yep, it's just all these crazy mean coins. But and you know who knows? Maybe they're going to be around. I don't know. Maybe one day I'm going to walk into McDonald's and they're only going to take uh, Shiba Inu coins, and I'm going to go, "Damn it, I was so hungry, and I should have, I should have yeah. thrown some money in this." But yeah, the things that like really this is the future of meme coins. And this is how do you know if you because meme coins are a real thing. I'm actually going to put out like a meme coin portfolio. But meme coins are a thing, and I think those who overlook them are 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 not the smart ones. And I was I was overlooking them for a long time. They're social consensus coins. And the ones that are going to succeed are going to be the ones that build like a hyper niche loyalty for owning this. And so how Dogecoin back in 2014 sponsored a NASCAR, that showed that you can bring the power of value and like direct that value somewhere and like have social consensus for it. Like, hey, the whole government can run off this like DAO system. It was too early though. You know, the DAO got hacked, right. things like that. DAOs still need maybe another decade or so. But at the end of the day, these meme coins can step in in the meantime because they're not promising returns. There's no future guarantee of expectation. You pretty much know that you're gambling. Yeah. So if you pretty much know, you can. these meme coin creators have license to do a lot more crazier shit. They can go out and like sponsor arenas. You're going to see that. It's going to be these meme coins are going to be the DAOs of tomorrow because it allows people to like lock up value for a cause. Yeah, and they're building big communities behind them too because everyone feels like they're part of a thing. You don't have to understand cryptocurrency to understand uh, a Shiba you know, <laughs> you know, meme coin and everyone kind of, they feel like it's a, it's an easier barrier of entry. But um, you talked about portfolios. Is there somewhere that people can see like, these are some projects you like or that you're interested in or uh, subscribe to a newsletter of yours and help get some, maybe some of the newer guys that want to figure out what's what are some projects oh, to put I on my radar? Let me even see if my link is working. Uh, but you go to investorplace.com and you click on crypto, or you can go to alliedcrypto.com. Alliedcrypto.com. You can. I have a free one-hour webinar where I talk about kind of like the awakening and the, why this is so important. And at the end of it, you're presented with the opportunity to uh, join. It's like 50 bucks and you can come in and, and read our research and see the model portfolio and things like that. And I love it. It's It's... It's my favorite. It's my the, my favorite job I've ever had. I work for an amazing team, uh, like hundreds of people. It's a publicly traded company, so there's like all like legal and accounting and everything's there and done, you know, and taken care of. So I get to just focus on the fun parts of crypto. For we have like forty five thousand subscribers. It's amazing. Uh, That's crazy. We love it. They love us. It's it's. I, I'm so proud. I'm honored to have that opportunity with these. If guys. you could give one piece of advice to someone about get wants to get into crypto, what would it be? Time is money. Time is money. And it's not just in the sense that like we need we're living this finite life uh, and we need to to manage our time and make sure we spend it wisely. But it should also be your investment thesis too. Um, 
look at projects and look at companies and look at the future of like what what is really going to fundamentally change uh, how we waste time now? How can we spend more time with our friends and family and make more things automated in a decentralized way? Uh, I think that's such a very nice uh, investment thesis because at the end of the day, time is existence. Something I remember I asked a rabbi once, I was like, how do we know God exists? And he's like, well, we're talking about him right now, aren't we? And his point is that if something simply exists for a, a certain amount of time, five years, 10 years, it becomes part of the fabric of existence. And kids are not, kids are not being, kids are being born today where they don't need to be convinced of Bitcoin and crypto because Bitcoin and crypto has already existed for 10 years of their parents' lives and it'll exist for their whole lives themselves. Those are the years that we're living in right now. Time is money. Beautiful, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. And as always, man, talking to you is yeah, money. So I appreciate I that. I would brother. spend an hour with you. It is more valuable to spend an hour here with you than anything else I could be doing. That's, that's you know, so that's why value is so important. You choose all these different things. I appreciate it, man. Well, I appreciate it so much, man. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, Ask Me to Dance. We got to plug that too, which is hopefully going to be something that we can see yeah, soon. Yeah, we made a movie together. I know, it's been so busy, man. We got to, crazy. It's cool, man. Well, keep me posted on everything. I'll check out those sites. I didn't even know about the, uh, the those things that you had going on, man, but I'm going to keep up with your, uh, with your podcast and uh, appreciate you, brother. Thank Tell, you. Send Courtney my love. I will do. I will do. Peace. Take it easy, man. Thank you.